checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. I'm Matt Zemek. He's Alex Blau, my co-host, my partner in crime. Uh, another coaching change in the Pac-12. <laughs> That's two. <laughs> Excuse me. Did not take long. Two in-season firings. Long. Two in-season firings after five weeks. So we had Herm Edwards after week three, Colorado after week five with Carl Durrell getting the axe. <laughs> this is the new normal. And of course, also, Alex, as you're well aware of, we had two in-season coach firings on the same afternoon, not long after Carl Durrell. Yeah. It was Paul Christ at Wisconsin. Again, it's the new normal in the industry. So, Alex, uh, initial thoughts on the Colorado coaching search, where you think it should go. Uh, I know that you have one name particularly in mind. Uh, you know, I do. You know, when talking about coaches, especially this year, I feel like we're going to see a lot of the same names regardless of where we look, especially if there are more Pac-12 openings. We're going to see Alex Grinch a lot. I feel like we're probably going to get Dan Mullen a lot. I feel like we're probably going to get Eric Bieniemy a lot, both professional and in college. Maybe not after that fight with Patrick Mahomes, but who knows. Uh, the name, I think, is uniquely candidate. You and I spoke last week about giving young guys, new head coaches, first-time head coaches a shot, seeing what they got, bringing a new energy in. There's a Colorado – there's a Buffs alum. He was a stud safety, I do believe, back in 2007, part of that group that took down Oklahoma – uh, and right now he's leading the number one scoring defense with the fighting Ilma in Illinois. Uh, that man's Ryan Walters. And if I'm Colorado, I pulled that trigger early so that I can make sure, you know, no, don't want to do anything uh, too incriminating. You know, you can't, can't break the rules. You can't, uh, can't be talking with coaches mid season, but we know how these deals get done. Uh, make sure Walters knows the intention early. Well, you know, in terms of things happening in season, let's remember Texas Tech hired Joey McGuire in the middle of the season. He was on Dave Aranda's staff at Baylor. That deal got done during the season. Now, McGuire did not have sideline duties, game day duties, coaching Texas Tech in November of last season. Sonny Cumbie, who was the uh, coordinator to Matt Wells, the previous Texas Tech head coach, he handled game day responsibilities for the team in the final month of the season. But Joey McGuire did get right onto the recruiting trail. So we do That's, have a recent example of an, of a midseason hire, not just a midseason yeah. firing, but a midseason hire. So maybe Colorado is in a position to do that with Ryan Walters. Um, for me, Alex, and that's, Go Real ahead. quick, Matt, that's the key. If you can hire them early and you can start building that culture through recruits and get a leg up in that game, that's the key to success and building that young core foundation that's going to bring you forward into the new era. Completely agree. The, the intriguing name, I'm not saying the likely name, but the intriguing name. Uh, Lincoln Riley has a brother, and his brother's name is Garrett Riley, and he is the offensive coordinator for TCU. Hey, TCU is un unbeaten. TCU hung a double nickel 55 on Oklahoma, where Lincoln Riley used to, to work at. I think Garrett Riley was a little bit motivated for that game. Um, but Garrett Riley, he's 33. And before you laugh at 
not you, Alex, but any of our listeners here on Get Off My Pylon, laugh at the, the notion of hiring a 33-year-old uh, as a head coach. Um, that's how many years old Lincoln Riley was when he became head coach of Oklahoma mm. after the 2016 season. Uh, his first, the first game he coached at OU as a head coach, not offensive coordinator, uh, but a head coach was just before his 34th birthday in 2017. So the idea that Garrett Riley at 33 is too young, well, that that doesn't fly. Uh, interestingly Runs enough, in Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin was 33 when he was hired by Tennessee back in 2009, uh, a year before he came to USC to coach the Trojans. So 33-year-olds like you know Sean McVay is another example, uh, hiring a, a really young coach that's not necessarily uh, forbidden territory these days. Uh, we're, we're seeing a new normal on a number of levels. Um, other, other coaching candidates, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Willie Fritz, what, he, what he's doing at Tulane, like, you know, that's the kind of guy who, you know, doing more with less in the group of five, that kind of coach is, is an interesting path for Colorado to consider. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, we've meant, we, we have to mention Alex Grinch just because he came up for the ASU job. Um, you know, if ASU goes elsewhere, does Grinch pursue Colorado? Or if you're Grinch, do you think, mm. yeah, you know, I have to wait for something better. How, how about that angle with Alex Grinch in Colorado? I think Alex Grinch has to stay for at least another year, given all the hype, given all the big moves he's made coming out West. Um, as a USC, I think they're all great names. As a USC fan, personally, uh, I I would like to see them maybe go. If we're setting up brothers. I didn't know family was fair play. Tyson Helton, brother of Clay Helton, Western oh, Kentucky head coach. Why don't we hire him over Garrett Ryder? You know, just as a USC fan, if we're doing brothers of past coaches. But no, I think every name you brought up, well, would be a, a super interesting candidate uh, and someone that the boss should definitely consider, depending on which angle they want to take to go forward. All right, one more thing on Colorado before we move into other topics here on Get Off My Pylon, Alex, and that is simply that, you know, we have two Pac-12 openings at the same time already, you know, in this the season. So if you're just, just a broad general question, Alex, if you are a coaching candidate and you see the ASU and Colorado jobs both open, now ASU, mm -hmm. clearly, that you have the higher ceiling there. Um, you know, yeah. ASU was number two in the nation back in 1975 when it was in the WAC. ASU was in the WAC in 75, became uh, a member of the Pac-10, which had been the Pac-8 uh, in 1978. ASU came an eyelash from the national title in 1996. So, you know, if it stops Ohio State on that final drive in the Rose Bowl, it wins the national title when number three Florida beats number one Florida State the next day in the Sugar Bowl. So, you know, Arizona State, Phoenix is a huge city. Phoenix is a top 10 market. Uh, there is more upside there, but you have the NCAA penalties looming. Like, they haven't been announced yet, but they're coming at some point. So that's a black cloud hanging over the program. Mm. So, you know, if you're weighing those two jobs, and obviously this, will, this might depend on how young you are, how long uh, a period of time you're willing to stay at one job and kind of make it your own. You know, do you want that quick hop up the ladder to something bigger or do you want to just stay there and make that your destination job? Obviously, those things factor into the equation. But just broadly speaking, Alex, if you're juggling uh, as a candidate, ASU versus yeah. Colorado, how are you processing that? How, 
what what is your decision making angle uh, in terms of looking at those two jobs as a candidate? You know, when I look at these new head coaches coming in, uh, whether in the past few years, whether we saw it at uh, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, whether it was USC with Lincoln Riley, we've really seen them, these new coaches try to uh, embody the, the, the surroundings, embody the community and bring that into the football culture. And when I look at both these communities, no offense to either, uh, both great college towns, what especially as it pertains to the football culture, I, I think you really have some history there in Tempe and something that you could build up to easily. Uh, it, the school itself is extremely popular um, with, with kids going to college these days. Uh, I think it's, it's a culture that you could easily build up it's a community that you could easily get to rally behind you. Uh, and then it could turn into either that quick turnaround to something new or something, a long-term project. All right. We're going to continue with get off my pylon in just a moment, but first, Hey, college football fans, you know, the season's cranking up and out here in the PAC 12, and these are games we're going to talk about on get off my pylon in just a bit. Utah at UCLA. Saturday afternoon in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. And then you, you go a little bit across the Los Angeles metro area over to the Coliseum in the late afternoon, going into the evening for Washington State at USC. Two big tickets, two big games in the Pac-12 in week six of the college football season. Big games, big tickets. You want to get the ticket broker that you know uh, can help you out. So buying college football tickets online, Requires trust, requires dependability. Ticket Smarter It's partnered with more than 100 universities and, and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. So for NCAA football tickets, Ticket Smarter makes sure fans all over Los Angeles and the country can experience the power and excitement of college football live. Hey, you can purchase tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with the Ticket Smarter mobile app or ticketsmarter.com. So we have an offer for all our College Gridiron Coast to Coast listeners, 5% off your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22. 5% off an order of 100 bucks or more. And the code isn't a one-time thing. It's for as many times as you want this season for college football seats, the biggest games. Uh, USC sold uh, 62,133 tickets for the Arizona State game, but that was a late night game. Arizona State's not a great opponent. We're going to see if USC can fill the Coliseum, uh, which is 77,500. If you want to get in, Cali. if you want to get to the Cali for that game, and it's a big one, uh, check out the selections and pricing now with Ticket Smarter and remember the code GRIDIRON22. Think smarter with ticket smarter all right alex so let's get into these two really big games i mean we'll talk a little bit about the week that was in the pac-12 but that's going to feed into these big games so Naturally. usc washington state and you know you look at usc's schedule you have the big one against utah just around the bend on october 15th but like if usc can win all its games in los angeles including the ucla game that's a road technically a road game but like you know you don't have to travel for that game. If USC can just win all the games it plays in its home neighborhood, whether that's the Coliseum or that uh, UCLA game, you win all those games plus the Arizona game in Tucson, and you're guaranteed to go 11 and one. 
you know, this is a USC has loaded up on road games so far. If they can defend Los Angeles the rest of the way, it's going to be at least 11 and one. And like that, that checks a lot of boxes that meets a lot of goals. And so this Washington state game is the toughest home game until Notre Dame on Thanksgiving weekend. Alex, uh, give me the, the layout, uh, you know, how you see this USC Washington state game shaping up. Two things real quick. First, Matt nailed it in the intro. Defending the Coliseum and defending home turf is so important to Lincoln Riley and not to bring it back to our previous conversation on hiring new head coaches. But that's what's so important about building that culture into the community and getting everyone on board around you. Because when you can make the home field and that home advantage so extreme, it's tough to, for teams to come in and, and, and dethrone you. As for USC Washington State, if you watched the last two SC games fully, both at, or at Oregon State and when we hosted ASU, don't let the scoreboard fool you. Very, very uneasy game as a fan. There was a lot of stress. Uh, things never seemed to be clicking yet like they were, especially when we saw against teams like Stanford. Um, but despite this, the scoreboard looked convincing. The defense held through when it needed to. Uh, everyone in, who is a USC fan and following this USC team knows that the biggest matchup and probably the toughest matchup is going to be at Utah, uh, not this upcoming weekend, but the following. Uh, this is a game that the Trojans can't let sneak up against them at Washington State uh, because Cam Ward looks like he may be figuring some more things out every game. He's still making the mistakes, but if, if he clicks it all together against USC, they, they may not be able to afford one loss going into Utah. Let's, let's pick up on that because, you know, Alex, to me, that is the real issue with USC. It's not so much how the Trojans are playing, but like they have not gotten an opponent's best shot on both sides of the ball. Now, they got the best shot from Oregon State's defense. No question about that. But Oregon State's offense was horrible. So like they got half of Oregon State's best. They have not gotten a complete game from any opponent uh each of uh, usc's opponents thus far has either been really deficient on one side of the ball or if it played well for a half which was arizona state uh you know that the opponent could not carry that out for a full 60 minutes arizona state definitely lost steam midway through the third quarter as usc began to physically assert itself so that's really mm. the question i want to explore is that you know, there, there's gonna, there, it's likely, I mean, it's not guaranteed, but it's likely that at some point an opponent plays a complete game, both sides of the ball really does its best. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but like it's defense plays to its capacity. It's quarterback cam ward plays to its capacity. Do you think USC is ready to take an opponent's best punch, not just half a loaf on one side of the ball, but both sides of the ball? Well, just to play devil's advocate with you, the last two weeks, well, frankly, the whole season, you're right, we haven't seen the best of any team. But the last two weeks, for sure, I don't think uh, Arizona State or uh, Oregon State saw the best of the USC team. Um, and frankly, it's a matter of if somebody's going to be perfect, USC just has to be better. Caleb has to be on his game. Uh, of course, this, this performance against Arizona State was much better than the performance we saw against Oregon State. But he has to be sharp. He has to connect with Jordan Addison, who saw his first game without a trip to the end zone. 
Uh, the running game has to be consistent like it's been. And then you got to keep having your studs like uh, Eric Gentry on defense who have these transfers that have, have made an impact. And then the one guy who seems to have been there from the beginning, Tui Tui Pelotu, who can, uh, who can make an impact. As for Washington State, Cam Ward's got to get it together because every week he looks better. You and I talk about this almost every week. We say, man, you know, it looks like he's getting better but he's still making the silly mistakes that aren't going to fly in the Pac-12. Uh, and he's still making them. There's a lot less for sure, uh, but he's, he's still making them, unfortunately. And I think he needs to really get that together. We saw him throw it deep into double coverage uh, for an easy interception. We saw him turn the ball over again uh, later in the game. But he, he's got he's to put it all together for once. Um, as for Washington State, another element they need to be perfect at. Um, one thing to how mention about, uh, here. How about how about how about real quick, if I may, if I may, if Cam Ward's going to make the mistakes, then the defense has to get has to get a turnover because he can't win games uh, with a turnover ratio of of uh, you know two in the wrong direction. Absolutely. That's something that Washington State has been swimming against the tide. And uh, and of course, USC has been one of the very best teams in the country at that. And Caleb Williams did throw his first interception of the season. I, I like the fact that he threw an interception, not not the interception itself. But I like the fact that he made a mistake in a game that the Trojans were still able to win. So that gives him and Lincoln Riley something to work on and correct for this week. So, I mean, when you have a win and you're not you make a few key mistakes, well, that's a teachable moment that you can build on uh, for the next game. Yeah. One, one particular point of, of interest in terms of USC's offense versus Washington State's defense. You know, Washington State's defense, generally very good, but it imploded late in the Oregon game, as we know. Uh, one player that Washington State did not have for that Oregon game, senior uh, safety, a strong safety, Jordan Lee. He's a transfer from Nevada. They did not have him in that game. And you saw Washington State put Cal in a Ziploc bag, uh, allowing Ooh. only nine points to the Golden Bears. So Jordan Lee was playing in that game uh, back from injury and, and, and missing the Oregon contest. So Washington State's defense clearly a lot better with Jordan Lee there at strong safety. So that when, when Caleb Williams surveys the Washington State defense pre-snap, he needs to be he needs to have his eyes on where Jordan Lee is on the field. And in terms of Lincoln Riley hunting matchups, uh, they, need, they need to steer plays away from where Jordan Lee uh, is helping out. That's going to be a big X and O key uh, for USC against Washington State. Um, Alex, let me ask you about just the play mixture and maybe the, the line of attack because uh, USC threw the ball a lot against Arizona State and it was working well. I mean, Caleb Williams threw for over 300 yards, did move the ball up and down the field, made a lot of splash plays, a lot of touchdown throws. Um, but of course, you know, the, the running the ball like that at, at some point, there's going to be a game where USC just needs to grind down an opponent. And of course, if the defense uh, shows a degree of weakness, controlling the ball means your own defense doesn't have to take the field nearly as long. Yeah. What's what's your thoughts on the run pass mixture for this upcoming game and, and, and how you think uh, Lincoln Riley needs to go about it? Well, when you can impose your will in the run game, you control the clock. Um, 
But you mentioned Caleb really, really having a day through the air against Arizona State. I think that was intentional on Lincoln's part. I think uh, Lincoln wanted him to have a strong showing, especially following the probably worst game of his collegiate career, I would say, following Oregon State. Um, definitely the worst game of his USC career. Uh, as a matter of running the ball, I, I don't think it's going to be a problem for USC when you have a four-prong attack the way I see it. You have Travis Dye as the main back who can really, really get he – can, he can carry the ball 15-plus times. Austin Jones can carry the ball 15-plus times. Relief Brown is the speed third down back. And then we forget about Caleb's legs. Caleb could easily end up, uh, if you need to, if there's no one getting open, he can take off uh, 10 plus times for, for a good amount of yardage and even some points in there. I, I don't think the running game is, is ever going to be a problem for USC. If they need to get that going, I think they have many weapons and many different approaches to get that ignited. All right, final note on this game, Alex, and we're going to talk about Utah-UCLA next, but uh, for those who haven't been paying overly close attention to USC, especially, you know, if you're you're on the East or you're in the Central time zone, you can't stay up late for these uh, late-night games, uh, Justin Dietich, uh, USC's interior offensive lineman, did not play against Arizona State. The, the coaching staff wants him to be healthy for this big Washington State game. Cortland Ford at left tackle, he briefly played committed a holding penalty, which wiped out a long touchdown pass from Caleb Williams to Mario Williams. So he, he, yep. he did not play very many snaps and the coaches just wanted to shut him down because they knew that he was ineffective when they tried to see uh, what, what he could give them. So we'll see if Dietrich and Ford are not only able to play, but can they be effective? If they are, that provides a lot of stability to that, to the offensive line and by extension, the offense. So that is something in terms of personnel you're going to want to look at uh, on the USC sideline when this game happens. All right, Alex, let's now move across Los Angeles to the first of the two big games in LA uh, on Saturday. And that is Utah at UCLA, UCLA coming off a comprehensive beatdown of Washington. Now people will say, wait, eight point game, 40 to 32. It was 40 no. to 16. It was 40 yep. to 16 entering the fourth quarter. That was a smackdown. Washington never got the ball with a chance to tie with an eight pointer. That was a comprehensive beatdown by UCLA, by far the better team, uh, by far the better quarterback. Dorian Thompson-Robinson smoked Michael Penix. Uh, USC punched Washington in the mouth. Washington had not played a road game in its first four games of the season, and it showed. Uh, the Huskies were not ready for this environment. Uh, UCLA was uh, lying in the weeds and was ready. Uh, so... Now UCLA goes against the defending Pac-12 champions, and this is the true test, right? This is this is the real proving ground to see if UCLA can cross the threshold under Chip Kelly. You, the Bruins, have always lost these games under Kelly, not being able to get over the hump. Alex Blau, can UCLA get over the hump against the big bad Utes? Matt, now you're setting me up for failure here as a Trojan fan, but I think I have to say, yeah. Because when I look at the Rose Bowl, you know, you, you mentioned um, especially how Washington was coming to this environment and they hadn't played a road game. The Rose Bowl is not a very threatening environment. The UCLA fan base really isn't there. And I'm not trying to roast them. I'm trying to actually praise their team because that team is just that good. They're playing 5-0 and and they're playing the best football yet. Uh, and it starts with DTR, who is just electric right now, the way he's moving uh, he's looking like Lamar Jackson similarities, the way he runs the ball into the end zone, shimmying and stopping on a full don. Um, 
And frankly, if, if I'm Utah, I'm a little frightened seeing how much trouble uh, Florida's Anthony Richardson gave us in week one and seeing that DTR may be a better dual threat, who, uh, especially in the coming weeks, we've seen he may have a better arm. To me, Alex, the, the real centerpiece of this game is Utah's front seven against DTR because what did we see in week one? We saw Utah struggling against a mobile dual threat quarterback, Anthony Richardson yep. of Florida. Utah had no idea how to defend a quarterback who could take off and run. So Utah against a mobile quarterback, that's a problem for the youth. So this is we're going to see if Utah learned anything from the Anthony Richardson experience. What, how, you know, how do you think Utah is going to do in terms of, you know, evolving from week one against Florida and being able to contain DTR? Well, it's also a matter of this is this is the best team I think they've seen probably this season besides Florida. Um, definitely the most similar team to Florida. Uh, offensively, offensively, Utah has to uh, has to get the running back game going. Cam Cam Rising can't be your leading rusher uh, in another game because if you can keep your offense on the field, if you can run the ball, if you can dominate the clock, you keep DTR on the sidelines. And that's probably going to be their key to, to limiting the explosiveness of the UCLA offense is simply just don't get it on the field. Don't let them take the field. And what would you say then in terms of the matchup between Utah's offensive line and UCLA's defensive line? Now, UCLA's defensive line got a lot of pressure on Michael Penix of Washington, but the Huskies' offensive line did not look ready for prime time. Utah's offensive line, like that is a quality offensive line. We know that Kyle Whittingham likes to get his, his big uglies up front to road grade and just lean on an opponent. It actually worked pretty well in the second half against Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, and if Cam Rising doesn't throw that interception on the goal line, you know, we're talking about Utah being a playoff contender, of course, yeah, rising through that yeah. interception. But it remains that Utah hangs its hat on physical offensive line play is UCLA's defensive front ready for this challenge? You know, I think they could be just based off what I saw last week uh, with Utah. I, I think Oregon State, you know, Oregon State's linebacker pair, they're great. Um, but the Utah offense, from my opinion, was one of the premier uh, offensive units in the Pac-12 going into the season, especially through the first few weeks. Um, and I, I think UCLA, we could see them possibly bring the same pressure uh, and shut down the rushing attack like Oregon State did. But frankly, I, I think that Utah's offensive line is going to be too much for this Bruin defense to stand. All right, Alex, we're, we're going to talk a little bit of Mountain West football on the other side of this break. But first, hey, you know, Major League Baseball playoffs, they start Friday, the first ever wild card series so those are some signature sporting events to bet on bet us has been a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely so you can go to betus.com betus.com and take advantage of an offer we have with our shows from college gridiron coast to coast you get a 125 percent sign up bonus by using our code coast 22 that's coast 22 so put $100 in, get an additional $125. Put $200 in, you get an additional $250, and so on. So BetUS, you have the baseball playoffs to bet on. 
NBA and NHL regular seasons just around the corner, NFL, and of course, college football, another college football Saturday coming your way this week with those big Utah, UCLA, and Washington State, USC games that we've been talking about here on Get Off My Pylon. So you want to be with BetUS.com all season long. Check them out, BETUS.com. And remember the 125% match bonus for initial signups with the College Gridiron code, COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. All right, Alex. So it's our Mountain West segment since we do cover Western college football, but boy, the brutal year in the Mountain West continues. Um, you know, Fre mm. Fresno State losing to UConn, and I know Jake Hayner was injured, but, like, you shouldn't be losing to, to UConn under shouldn't any circumstance. Only and then we had – yeah. And then we had this Boise State-San Diego State game, an absolutely crazy game. You know, first half – How about – Yeah. For, first half – 13-0 San Diego State. Just the Aztecs were putting the Broncos to sleep on the blue turf. Uh, not that San Diego State's offense did much. San Diego State's offense scored just six points in the first half. The other seven were on a, on a, a blocked punt and a return for a touchdown. So you think, okay, Boise State you know, got crushed by UTEP the week before, fired the offensive coordinator. So they're scoreless in the first half. Uh, and, and you think they're just dead as a doornail. And then, voila, presto, 35 points in the second half under new yeah. offensive coordinator and former Boise State coach, Dirk Cutter. Where did this come from? You know, a commitment to the rushing game. Uh, shout out George Lani. Two touchdowns, 130 yards. That's always successful. San Diego State, though, you know, you're right. I feel like as soon as you got any momentum for Boise State, San Diego State had two passes, uh, pass, not two pass attempts, two passes completed all game. They had half as many throws to the Boise State defense completed all game. Uh, for me, it was a matter of as soon as there's a spark lit uh, under this dirt cutter team, I knew Boise State would take off. It's really I now, did I, expect, did I expect 35 points and, frankly, practically just the fourth quarter no i did not no but as soon as the wheels got rolling for boise state you know san diego state's offense is so dead in the water and you know it's worth noting that san diego state made some offensive staff changes one week after boise state made offensive staff changes really crazy yeah. to see such instability uh on, on coaching staffs in the middle of the season and so many mountain west teams so many mountain west offenses Fresno State was is another example, scoring just 14 against UConn. So many Mountain West offenses are just failing to make the cut, and it's just the misery in this conference continues. And again, you mentioned it: basketball season cannot get here soon enough <laughs> in in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, one other thing about Dirk Cutter, while we're at it, he said he's just temporarily helping out this season. This is not a long term appointment, so. You know, if Andy Avalos wants to save his job, like he needs to find a, a permanent solution as offensive coordinator, like the he Dirk Cutter, uh, you know, was able to pinch hit, um, but like that's not a permanent solution. So Avalos is not out of the woods yet. Uh, he's going to need. I believe he's it. Need to do a lot more. That's not just talk either. I I I, I do believe uh, Coach Cutter probably is is on his way out at the end of this year. A absolutely. 
So, you know, with the Mountain West, I mean, you know, Air Force did win its commander in chief trophy game. I mean, the first of two has to play Army later in the year, but it beat Navy, but only 13 points for this offense. And the, the, the Air Force offense under uh, quarterback Hazik Daniels just continues to struggle. Uh, it's just amazing. Mm. The Troy Calhoun offense, so dynamic, so often in his Air Force career, isn't getting off the ground. Uh, an excellent performance by the Air Force defense, but that, that offense just continues to ride the struggle bus. Um, and and it, the, the Mountain West is in such a weird place that UNLV at four and one, like that is a contender for the Mountain West championship game. I mean, we, we could have realistically, we could have like UNLV uh, against Air Force. Air uh, Force, yeah. In the in the conference change game like that is a realistic possibility right now. It's kind of like what Illinois. a horrible game that would be. <laughs> it's like. It's like, you know, Illinois is a con legitimate contender in the Big Ten West, and Duke and North Carolina are legitimate contenders in the ACC Coastal. Some really weird stuff uh, throughout college football this year. Isn't, All right, isn't it the best? Isn't it the best? It, it is the best unless you're on the wrong side of it. But it, uh, the other thing is, thank, you know, Alex, the other thing this points up, just a brief tangent here on Get Off My Pylon, Thank God sure. we're div uh, abolishing divisions left and right. Like the ACC will not have divisions <laughs> next year. Yeah. And so, you know, if like seven and five Duke plays Clemson in the ACC title game, that's going to remind us why we shouldn't have divisions. If Illinois is eight and four and plays Ohio state in the big 10 title game, that'll be a reminder why we shouldn't have divisions. Now the PAC 12, George Klyavkov, he was on top of that. He abolished divisions made sure that yeah. the best two teams in the conference are going to play like that has to happen throughout the sport. It's such an obvious fix. So thank goodness that people are beginning to see sense in terms of abolishing divisions. All right. So Alex, final segment, we go back to the PAC 12 after our brief mountain West detour, because really who wants to talk about mountain West football any more than necessary. This <laughs> year, um, our final segment is on the Washington Huskies. So they just in terms of the eye test, they looked like the best team in the Pac-12 through four weeks. But as we mentioned, hadn't played a road game, hadn't played a really good team. The Michigan State game turned out to be, you know, Michigan State does not look good. Michigan State lost to Maryland uh, over yeah. the weekend, you know, after getting crushed by Minnesota. Minnesota just lost to Purdue. So Michigan State's not very good. That win didn't mean a whole lot. Washington also hammered Stanford. Stanford got say, that obliterated. Was Stanford got obliterated by Oregon. So Stanford is not very good. So Washington has a four and one record. We've seen this team play really well, but it, it's kind of like USC uh, The opposition hasn't really thrown its best punch until UCLA came along. So, you know, after the UCLA game, Alex, where do you stand on the Washington Huskies? Do you think that uh, like this team's going to regroup and respond to you know, the first really good game by an opponent? this season or do you see deeper structural flaws and problems with this team heading into the middle well, of October? I, I need, I need you to clarify something real quick. You were speaking in your intro. Did you say that this was looking like the best team in the PAC 12? Through four, through four games that in terms of the eye test, not in terms of resume, not in terms of resume, but in terms of eye test, well, better than USD. No, better than in terms of eye test. In terms of eye test, better than USC because USC had that horrible offensive game against Gordon State. Like, I, like I don't have any problem with that. You, UCLA almost lost 
to South Alabama. So I'm drawing, I'm very, I was very specific. I said through four weeks, not through five. I, you know, that, that obviously fair. changed, but that's through fair. four weeks, I, I wanted to go blind Washington had played Washington through four weeks. Washington had played four very convincing games where it won authoritatively in each one. So, you know, like, like Washington beat Kent State by more than Georgia did, for example. So through four weeks, yes, Washington looked like, I'm not saying it was, but it looked like, I test, the best team in the Pac-12. So you, your, your evaluation of Washington, how much uh, I did the play game change the conversation? I think it really changed the conversation. I Coming into the season, I had this as probably uh, upper middle of the pack. Um, and I think that's realistically where they are. I think the the 20s is a gracious ranking from the AP. The UCLA game was a real eye-opener um, for unnamed people who may have thought that Washington was the best team in the Pac-12 through the first four weeks. Um, just just kidding. Uh, that's but, fine. No, I do think, I I do can think take, they're structural. I can take a I little uh, elbow to the ribs. I'm a big boy. I do think I do think there are structural flaws with this Husky team, um, and I, I don't think they're going to be, frankly, in the conversation for the Pac-12 championship come the end of the year. Uh, you know what? I agree. I mean, they were. If you're bullied by UCLA, you have problems. And I mean, yeah, like UCLA played well, but really, UCLA is not the most physically imposing team in the Pac-12. I think we're going to see that against Utah. We're also going to see that against Oregon. Um, you really should not get bullied by the Bruins, uh, but um, that's exactly what happened. So, yes, I, you know, when, when Washington plays Washington State in Pullman uh, in the Apple Cup, when Washington plays Oregon, when Washington plays Oregon State, yeah, Huskies, Huskies are in for some problems. So, so I very much agree on that. All right, Alex. So this Washington State game is a big one for USC and, of course, Utah and UCLA as well. Los Angeles is the centerpiece of the college football world this weekend. Gotta love that out here in Pac-12 country. So next week, we're definitely gonna talk about those games here on Get Off My Pylon, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Listen to all the shows on our network, Yards and Stripes. They're reviewing the Navy Air Force game. They focus on service academy football, pigskin and burnt ends, Patrick Netherton on the SEC. Florida Football Insiders. That's Jason Powers covering Florida State's first loss of the season to Wake Forest. You want to you get Jason Powers' insights on that. Uh, Tyler Jones with the Big 12 Breakdown. Mark Rogers with the Big 10 Paradigm. And the other shows that are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Alex Blau, any final general thoughts on the week that was or the week to come uh, in the Pac-12? Anything that really catches your eye that you want to make sure we include on this broadcast? Mm, no, you know, you, you mentioned it, uh, especially in between segments. It's a big weekend for, uh, for West Coast football and uh, tickets are for sales. Make sure, uh, make sure to go out. Absolutely. All right, we'll catch you next week on Get Off My Pylon.